Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. WPHT, HD, 3 Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. The witness in the Fawny Willis-Nathan Wade affair trial is uh, set to resume testimony as the star witness is grilled on his knowledge of when the relationship began. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Thanks for being here today. Got a lot to chat about. Before I get into all this stuff in Georgia, I just I want to make uh, really I can't stress enough this point about these New York cases and Georgia, too, and even the federal cases. Where are the victims in all these cases against Donald Trump? Where are the victims? Who's been who's the victim here? And I know some uh, <clears throat> snotty person on the left right now is going democracy is the victim. Democracy is not the victim because nobody can deny the fact that Joe Biden is the president right now. So you can't even make the argument that the election was overturned. You can't even make the argument that that Trump did anything to attempt to overturn the election or were successful in doing so. And where are the victims? So who are the victims in New York? All these banks that said they'd love to do business with the guy again. They made a lot of money off him. They're victims. Who's the victim in the case with, with Stormy Daniels? The voters are the victims because they didn't know that he that that a woman made an allegation that she had an affair with him. And you can prove to me that those voters who did vote for him in a state that he lost would have changed their mind had they known that allegation. Remember, we don't know if it's true or not. We don't know if they were ever really together. Frankly, I don't really give a damn. But how are you going to make the argument to me that the, the, those Republican voters in, in New York State who did vote for Trump would have changed their mind had they, not, had they known that information, had they known her allegation? and then. You have to ask the other question, which is, would it have changed the outcome of the election? No, because he still would have lost New York. 
he's, he lost New York either way. So how can this trial even go forward when there's no victim? Alvin Bragg is arguing that the voters were entitled to know about an allegation by a porn star and a private transaction between two people where he just said, you know what, I'm just going to pay her off to shut her up and move on. Make, paying somebody to, to, to stay silent is not an admission of guilt. You can pay people to do lots of different things in life. There's not any law against it. They call it a hush money payment, but people pay people all the time. I mean, how many times do people leave companies with a severance package specifically designed to make sure that they shut up and don't <laughs> tell their competitors things or tell the media things? You can buy off people's silence in a variety of different ways. You can have non-competes. You can have non-disclosure agreements. You can have all kinds of different things. Nothing illegal about it. Nothing illegal about it whatsoever. But again, even if, let's assume for a second, even if Stormy Daniels is telling the truth, she and Donald Trump had an affair. That means that the um, Republican voters of New York State, had they known that, may have changed their mind. Okay, let's assume that 50% of them would have. Trump still lost New York. Doesn't matter. Even if 0% of them changed their mind, Trump still lost New York. Even if 100% of them changed their mind, Trump still lost New York. So how is anybody actually victimized here? And if Alvin Bragg argues that the American people were victimized, well, guess what, Al, Vin? You don't really have jurisdiction over that, do you now? You are the district attorney of New York City. What you really should do is focus on criminals in your city and not worry about whether or not the American people were defrauded or not, duped by a, a political candidate who may not have told them the full truth. Let's think about that for a second and the dangerous precedent that that sets. How many times have people voted for somebody and then feel like they were lied to or voted for somebody who said, read my lips, no new taxes, or uh, I did not have sex with that woman or wh- whatever it is? I mean, how many times? Have we had politicians who have said one thing and did the exact opposite or have not told us the whole story about things? I mean, I could argue to you right now that you've got a doddering old fool in the White House who's not telling the American people the truth about his mental state. So are we going to start criminally prosecuting politicians for when they're candidates if they don't fully disclose everything with the voters? And then what do we leave out exactly? Like, what if a guy wears his underwear several days in a row? Now, I'm serious about this. How many, let me ask you guys this question, seriously. This is a serious question. This is a man question here. How many days in a row can you wear underwear without washing it? Uh, I mean, ideally, you maybe just one. I didn't ask you, ideally, I said, how many days can you get away with it? If I was really pushing it. Yes. I bet you could get three, four days out of it. Three, four days. Henry, what do you think? One and done. One, that, what if you're camping? Sucks. No, this is worst case scenario. Henry. Worst case scenario. Washing machines out, zombie apocalypse, you're camping. You don't well, have a change right. of briefs with you. What do you and I know you <laughs> wear tiny Zom- whiteies. Zombie but... apocalypse changes everything. <laughs> well, how many days can you get away with the same pair of underwear? Yeah, I'll go three or four. Three or four. I would go six, and I'll tell you why. Because six. you can well, you can turn them inside out. Oh, that's oh that's yeah, disgusting. That, that I said help. max, I maximum, would, maximum. I think that would make here. it worse. Well, maybe it would, but <laughs> Now, is this something that presidential candidates should know? How I mean, the American is- people, should they have a right to know this about their presidential candidates? I, I'm Look, you guys think like I'm joking. Do you remember the time? You probably don't. Bill Clinton was asked the question once, boxers or briefs. Do you remember that? 
I know. I bet you try to find it. See if you can find it for me, please. Matt DeSantis, if you would. I remember this. There was a town hall meeting. He was governor of Arkansas at the time. He was asked boxers or briefs. And in typical Bill Clinton fashion, he could not give a straight answer. He said mostly most. I think he said mostly briefs is what he said. If I'm not mistaken. He didn't want to offend the boxer people. The boxer community, he, he right? Needs their vote. Now, what if it turns out that he actually only wore boxers? Do you think that the American people were duped by that? I mean, should we actually get into the conversation about how often presidential candidates shower or how often they change their underwear, what they eat in the kitchen, what they cook? What I mean, I, I, how far do we go with knowing the personal details about somebody's life? You actually, you found it, didn't you? I did. Give me one second. I, I'll see, I told you my my political memory, the stuff that I come, the things that I remember from in politics are strange. I don't know why I think of this stuff, but I do. But apparently this was an issue on the presidential campaign trail back in 1992 in the, I believe it was the general election. It could have been the, still the primary, but I believe it was the general election with then Governor Bill Clinton. Now, mind you, really, the question should have been how quickly do your boxers or briefs come off whenever you're engaging in your extramarital fun? But that was not the question. It was just what he wears. But really, I mean. If if he lied to me, if it turns out that Bill Clinton lies in this answer, am I duped? Was I defrauded as a voter? Why is it that sleeping with a porn star in some way means that if, if that allegation, I don't know about that allegation and I voted for him, I was defrauded. I was cheated because I didn't have the full information. But what a candidate wears in terms of boxers or briefs, that doesn't matter. Why Why is one more sensitive than the other out of curiosity? You have it? Take a listen. Mr. President, the world's dying to know, is it boxers or briefs? Usually briefs. All right, so he was president at the time. Usually briefs. Usually. Couldn't even, he couldn't even take a firm stand on that. But that's the thing. How can you... At, what, what, how far do we go in terms of politicians having to reveal all the details of their personal life? Somebody makes an allegation against you. I got news for you. Not every rumor is true in life. Somebody makes an allegation. People make allegations against famous rich people all the time. They're not always true. Why, where is it written that the voters or the potential voters have a right to know that? In what, what universe is it that if you don't tell them that, that you've somehow committed a crime? Think about that, because that's Alvin Bragg's allegation here. That by not telling the voters that Stormy Daniels accused him of having an affair, by paying her money to not tell people about it, about her allegations, that the voters were defrauded. But why do the voters have any right to know that? Really, I mean, honestly, that's the question. Why do the voters have any right to know that? Where is it written that the voters have a right to know? And assuming that you believe that they do, that's an opinion. It still doesn't make it a crime if... I disagree with you and I don't really care. It's not a crime. There's no voter transparency act or there's nothing in article two of the constitution that says in order to be president, you have to be 35. You have to be a natural born citizen. You have to live in the United States for seven years. Oh, and by the way, you have to be uh, totally transparent about every aspect of your personal life, including how many times a day you floss, whether you floss, I may not want to vote for a person who doesn't floss. I don't know. Flossing to me is fundamental. If you don't floss your teeth, maybe I don't want to, I don't want to vote for you. I don't know. How far do we go with this stupidity? We see Alvin Bragg's argument is, oh, well, he paid hush money 
to a porn star. So what? Porn stars are people too. They're allowed to make allegations like everybody else. And uh, if it wasn't a porn star, if it was just, uh, I don't know, say a, just a random person who worked at the Trump organization, would that have made it any different? And if Donald Trump in his mind had turned around and said, yeah, you know what? I just, I don't want to deal with this. What does she want to just make this go away? 130 grand? Fine. Just pay it. I'll reimburse you. And um, it's not, I just don't have time. I don't care. I don't want to get into it. I don't want Melania to know about this. It's not true, but whatever. Who cares? But even if they do care, is it their right to know? Is it their right to know that? And if it's not their right to know that, then what's the crime? And as far as I know, it's not their right to know that. But what about the politicians that actually lie about policy issues? You know, the ones that say they're going to do certain things and then get into office and do the exact opposite of those things. Can I charge them with a crime? Because had I really known what they were going to do when they got in there, and if I had known that everything they said on the campaign trail was total BS, I would have changed my vote. Therefore, I was defrauded. Can I charge that politician now with a crime? Because I got news. This could be a news flash for you. Politicians have a habit of doing this, saying one thing on the campaign trail and then doing something totally different when they get in office. So you'd have to build new prisons to start locking up politicians for doing just that. But was I defrauded as a voter when I voted for somebody who I thought was going to lower my taxes? And it turns out that when they got in there, they voted for more spending, which then led to me paying more taxes. Yeah, I was. Has a crime been committed? No. The remedy for that is called election day. That's the remedy. The remedy for that is election day. And to go a step further to Alvin Bragg's stupidity in this New York case, Trump didn't win New York in 2024 either, or 2020 either. So he didn't win in 2016. He didn't win in 2020. So where exactly are the victims here? I mean, it's not, it's not as if New York went red for Trump, and now we're turning around and we're saying, hey, listen, had we known this, we would have made a different choice. Because if we're going to play that game, there's a whole lot of people I want to see arrested right away who are currently serving in Congress. I do. I want to see them arrested. I want to see them locked up. I want to see them behind bars for lying when they were running for office to get my vote, lying about what they were going to do, pretending that they were conservatives when they really weren't, pretending that they had all these libertarian policies when they clearly don't, saying that they were uh, not going to be globalists when they're all in on Ukraine funding, for example. Lock them up. Lock them all up because they misled me as a voter. That's really the heart of what Alan Bragg, Alvin Bragg's case is, only it's. Um, Involving an allegation by a porn star that he wanted to go away. And doesn't he have a right to make it go away? I mean, what if, uh, for example, I was running for office and Mama Zioli wanted to tell everybody, because she's mad at me right now, by the way, because she, she has not seen her grandkids in a couple weeks. Not my fault. She's the one who's in Myrtle Beach, not me. I know I should be going to visit, but I work. I have a job. I can't just go down there and visit. Anyway, what if Mama Zioli wanted to tell everybody what a terrible student I was? which is not going to shock anybody listening to this show that I was a bad student or what a class clown I was. And I said to my mother, mom, I'm going to, I'm going to, I tell you what, I'm going to pay to send the kids to you to Myrtle beach to have them for three weeks straight. Uh, if you just shush about this, you know, I would never tell my mother, shut up. If you just, you know, zip it, don't tell anybody that. That's technically a bribe, you know, technically a bribe. And then I get elected. And then people find out that Mama Zioli knew the truth all along. I was a class clown, and I was not the best student, especially when it came to math and science. They were duped. 
Is Alvin Bragg suggesting that because it was the allegation is that Donald Trump is with a porn star, that all the evangelical voters in New York would have made a different choice? Well, who cares? They didn't, he didn't win New York. Whether the evangelical voters in New York would have made a different choice or not. But I'll go and just point this out. Those voters who did vote for him knew the guy was married three times. Also, Alvin Bragg's jurisdiction does not go into the entire state of New York either. It just deals with the city of New York. So let's think about all the evangelical voters in New York who may have made a different choice had they known about the allegations by Stormy Daniels. Would it have changed the outcome in any way, shape, or form? No. And didn't those evangelical voters also know Trump was married three times? Yes. So where are the victims? In the case of Letitia James and all the real estate transactions, this idea that the people were defrauded because Trump made all this money and other people didn't, the classic Marxist example, but again, not a single victim in the case. So when you look at these two cases side by side, you say to yourself, of course, these are purely political persecutions by Donald Trump because nobody was harmed in any way, shape or form. Then you go down to Georgia and you say, well, who was hurt in Georgia? The results of the Georgia election were not overturned. Joe Biden's still in the White House. So where are the victims in that case? And they go, well, he tried to. He tried to what? He tried to overturn the election. Okay, so he tried to overturn the election. So now it's intent to overthrow or intent to, to undo an election. How? His words. His words, you see, by arguing that the election was stolen from him, then he went out there and he was going to have people overturn the election by his words. Once again, we're back to we're back to policing speech. We're back to potentially now making politicians criminals based on their speech, based on the words they say. They go, Trump knew he lost the election, but he said he won it anyway. That's a crime now. So if I'm on the campaign trail and I, I, I know, I know for a fact I'm running, say, say I'm running as a Democrat. I know for a fact I'm going to vote. I'm going to eventually vote to raise your taxes, but I tell everybody I'm not. So I knowingly am defrauding the voters. I should go to jail. You should lock me up. I mean, these are very dangerous precedents that these idiots are setting, but they're setting them because they don't care about whatever precedent it is. They just care about one thing, and that's stopping Donald Trump. The Georgia case should not go forward because there are no victims in the Georgia case either. The federal case should not go forward because there's no victims in the federal case. The United States of America was not defrauded. Joe Biden is still the president of the United States of America. Nothing Donald Trump did on January 6th changed that. And to argue that his words were an attempt to change that is an argument that political speech then can be prosecuted. So... I think that um, the grasping at straws here in the legal system against him is obvious and it's not working and it's backfiring in a big, big way against the Democrats. It really is. And they have nothing left. So now we're talking about when Fawny Willis and Nathan Wade first started their affair, which is the big story of the day today brought to you by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A. VenariaDental.com. Here's a little bit of audio from this so-called star witness here. I'll start with this. Here's Trump defense attorney Steve Sadow grilling Nathan Wade's former law partner, Terrence Bradley, about a text message he sent seemingly confirming the Fawny Willis-Nathan uh, Wade love affair started 
before the 2022 investigation of Donald Trump or the 2022 hiring of Nathan Wade. Take a listen. Based on what you've just said, let's go to what was Defense Exhibit 26. Okay, in Defense Exhibit 26, which I showed you last time, was two pages of text messages between you and Ms. Merchant, correct? Correct. Now, the first page starts off by saying, Ms. Merchant, like, just date, don't hire him. Do you think it started before she hired him? You see that? Yes, I see it. Yes. And your response to that was absolutely correct. I'm going to object, ask and answer in cumulative. All right. So, um, Mr. Sato, uh, I do think we went through a lot of these texts. We, we didn't go through this whole just one. A, just a second, Mr. Sato. All right. Um, I'm sorry, Mr. Sato. Well, uh, you said we didn't go through this particular one? No, we went through, we stopped right there. I uh, want to go. I, I went, I answered, because she, this well, is the exact language that she just stated a few minutes ago. You could read it back. Okay, Mr. Sato. Are, are you saying both of these two exhibits weren't already covered by Ms. Merchant? It was not gone. This particular language. Bottom line is this. Do you think it started before she hired him? Yes, I see it. Yes. And your response to that was absolutely correct. Correct. So this guy, this witness thinks that, yes, their affair started before he was officially hired. All right. We got a lot more on this for you. But a quick social media check in by our friends at Cherry Hill Volvo. Uh, Susie Cool points out the Access Hollywood tape. Hello. Right, exactly. I mean, people knew who Trump was and they knew what they were getting. Um, And again, even if people believed that Stormy Daniels did, in fact, have an affair with Donald Trump, they may have voted for him anyway. They may not have cared because it's the year 2024 and people just don't care. Uh, Let's see. uh, Linda Liu says, what about a liar like Shapiro claiming he is pro school choice before getting elected governor? I mean, after he's elected, he's the exact opposite. Great point. Bob says, did Stormy pay her taxes on the money? That would be a crime. And Carrie says, Rich, as a woman, I'm advising you that if you only have the ability to wear one pair of underwear over the course of the week, free reign is the most appropriate decision to make. I can't say the, I don't want to say the B word, but you know what I mean? Just um, let it all hang out there. You know what I mean? I'm out there and I'm loving every minute of it. Free range. Free range is what she's saying. You see, there's nothing between him and us but a thin layer of gabardine. All right, 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Listen, my friends at Emmons Roofing and Siding are going to do great work for you and your home. Emmons Remodeling. Oh, man. They do fantastic kitchen and bathroom remodeling and bathroom remodeling in a day. Have the winter storms left your home with storm damage? Call my friends at Emmons today. Emmons has become a one-stop shop for all your roofing siding, windows, solar, and now baths and kitchens. Emmons can install a new bathroom in as little as one day. You heard me right, one day. Have the new bathroom you want in as little as a day and with a minor interruption of use and minimal downtime. Do you have a property at the shore? Well, have the team at Emmons come out and take a look at that roof because small winter leaks now can lead to big costly repairs when the warm weather hits. 
Call 856-556-3229. 856-556-3229 today for a free estimate. Online at emmonsroofing.com or emmonsremodeling.com. Visit the Emmons Design Showroom in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And don't forget, they serve our entire region, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and the Jersey Shore. Emmons is a team I trust, and I've trusted Matt and Stephanie and the entire team for years. They've literally have done every project in my home from the roof, windows, doors, and yes, they remodeled my kitchen and my bathroom in our old house. And soon, they'll remodel the bathroom in our new house. EmmonsRemodeling.com, EmmonsRemodeling.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. Now the question, of course, is um, how do you protect speech in this day and age? How do you protect free speech? How do you protect the ability of somebody to go online and say what they want to say without being censored? And the problem is, of course, whenever you start to involve government, you wind up opening up a Pandora's box of potential censorship against conservatives and libertarians. And here's what I mean. And by the way, before I continue, let me also give a shout out to Amy, Princess of Profanity, Jersey Laundry. Happy birthday, Amy. You're a great friend of the show. Thank you. and Have a wonderful day. How do you actually ensure that people can say whatever they want? on social media, and that it can't be censored. Well, there's a couple different ways to do that, obviously. You can pass a law that says that the social media companies cannot in any way, shape, or form moderate content. They have to allow all political speech to be on there. And if they take down anything, then they can be held liable to that. Of course, now the question then becomes, all right, but they're private businesses. Don't they have a right to be able to have certain views on their platform? Well, then the contrary to that is then, yeah, but they also have Section 230 immunity so that they're not held liable as long as they are not being the speech police. As long as they are not making the content, then they're not liable for the content. Okay, but that's different, though. If it's my business and I'm not liable for the content, but it's still my business, don't I have a right to still say what, what kind of content I want on my platform? Let's take Elon Musk, for example. Elon Musk wants a very open Twitter. But it's still his. He owns it. It's his business. So he can't get sued under Section 230 if people are posting things that are inaccurate or whatever. He's immune from that. But still the guy's platform, he may not like certain things on there. So he may want them taken down. 
Does he have a right to do so? In my opinion, the answer to that is yes, because it's his platform and we believe in the private sector. Now, the contrary to that, though, of course, the counter to that is, yeah, but these things have kind of become the modern town hall square for America today. So really, you can't take down anything because this is where people now go to communicate. Fair. But somebody does still own it. It still belongs to somebody. I mean, use talk radio, for example. I don't have to entertain any viewpoint here on anything, and I don't want to. And if they try to make me, I'm going to say no and get another job. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. But I don't have to entertain all views. I don't have to entertain all beliefs. I don't have to entertain lefty, crazy people if I don't want to. I don't have to have both sides. They tried that. It was something called years ago they had the Fairness Doctrine, and Reagan got rid of that. Which basically said you had to have both sides represented at all times. That's stupid. You either like what I have to say or you don't. And if you don't, you're an idiot. But I don't have to then bring, I'm just kidding. I don't have to bring on both sides. I don't have to offer both viewpoints. I don't have to give opposing views. I just give my opinions on things. And I have the right to do so. It's my show. And if my company that owns this, the, the, the radio station doesn't like that, they can fire me. But if they turn around and they say to me, hey, listen, you got to start having on, you know, once a week lefty segments or something like that. And I don't want to do it. I'm going to say no. And then either I lose my job or, you know, they back down. That's kind of how it works in the free market. The government passed a law that said, hey, you can't you cannot silence any viewpoints on social media and you apply that to talk radio. Well, you could argue that that's basically the fairness doctrine. And now you have to entertain (coughs) the viewpoints of people on the left on conservative radio. But we don't want to do that. Conservative radio exists because we have enough viewpoints on the left that are on NPR and ABC, NBC, CBS. We don't need to do that. That's why talk radio works. It's why conservative radio works. It's why Air America was a freaking flop. A huge, huge flop. You already get that on NPR, which is government funded. Now, using social media as an analogy, then. If I own Twitter and I don't want to have crazy lefty content on there, isn't it my right to say, no, I don't want him on there? I think it is. Sure, I do. And if Mark Zuckerberg doesn't want to have conservative content on Facebook, well, then you know what? Don't use Facebook. Don't use it. It's like YouTube was censoring conservatives. And what happened? Rumble came around and now Rumble is crushing it. Rumble's crushing it. Rumble was the official provider at CPAC. In other words, if you believe in the free market, you should probably let the free market figure this stuff out instead of passing laws. Because when you start passing laws, ensuring that all political viewpoints are represented, you're going to wind up having that blowback in your face. I like the free market model better, which is that, okay, Elon Musk and Google, I'm sorry, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Google were censoring conservatives. So Elon Musk came around and said, well, screw you. I'm going to buy Twitter and now I'm going to have an open platform. And Trump started Truth Social. And Rumble came around and Parler, whatever the other one was. And they they came around and said, all right, we're going to have an alternative here. I like that better. Because the minute you start passing laws, even though your intentions are good, well, conservative speech is being trampled on, so therefore we have to pass a law saying you can't take down any political viewpoints. At some point, the government's going to turn around and say, you know what, that applies actually to not just social media, that applies to talk radio, that applies to uh, conservative news shows. That applies to to all these places, too. 
So all viewpoints have to be represented. And then you're back to exactly where you began, which is the fairness doctrine. Just making sure that both sides are represented. I don't want both sides represented. I have no interest in that. I have no interest in both sides being represented. I don't. There are, that's not my thing. I don't want to hear back and forth. They used to have that show years and years ago. What was it called? Crossfire. Matt DeSantis, I believe. Tucker Carlson was a host of that show at one point, was he not? Yes, he was. Back in his bow tie days. I don't really need to see a Republican and a Democrat or a conservative and a liberal argue about things. I find it boring. That's me. That's my choice. So I wouldn't watch it. But if that was the mandate where you always had to have both sides of every issue, man, be the death of talk radio tomorrow. Just wrap it up, fold it up, and we're done. That's really what troubles me about what Florida's trying to do here. But let me play what Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said about what he's trying to do, what he's trying to achieve here with this law in Florida, trying to protect free speech, trying to protect people from political censorship. Cut number six. Whether big tech has a right to censor you for political speech that it disagrees with. Florida passed protections three years ago for individuals who've been deplatformed or censored based on the content or viewpoint of their political speech. Texas passed a similar law. This has been waking its way through the courts. We knew it was going to end up at the floor, at the U.S. Supreme Court. This is a really important issue. Uh, these tech companies, on the one hand, are private, and normally a private company can house whatever speech or viewpoints it wants. In this case, these companies get liability protection from the federal government because they say that they're not publishers. They're not making editorial judgments about what speech is good and what speech is bad. They're just a platform. And so they shouldn't be held liable for anything that somebody puts on there. Well, you can't have your cake and eat it too. So we're going to be looking to see how the justices react to these laws and less important than the individual provisions, because we did this three years ago. We were the first state to do it. I think there's a lot that can be worked out, but the principle is going to be, you know, does big tech have a right to just simply censor uh, regardless of any protections for the consumer. And you look at things, things like this Google AI Gemini, what a disaster that is. That's the way of thinking that the people that operate these companies are going to have. That is not going to be good for robust political discourse in this country. And in fact, what they're doing is creating just totally fictitious very ideological narrative. So it's going to be an important day. We knew this day would come, uh, whatever the, the, the now, court um, decides. Thanks, Matt. The, now, let's think about this now. There are two issues here. One is the protection from liability. All right, so the owner of the platform can't get sued for the things that people say on that platform. And Governor DeSantis' point is you can't have a cake and eat it too. But I think he's mixing two issues. The first one is this. If you take away that protection where the platform cannot be sued for what people are saying on there. The speech that will be censored most, first and foremost, is conservative speech or anything like that. Let's take, for example, you heard the argument about what uh, is going on in Florida right now with the Surgeon General. And the CDC is yelling at him because of the measles vaccine. Well, at some point, there's going to be a social media platform that says we're not going to allow the Surgeon General of Florida to make any of his claims because somebody's going to die of measles and we don't want to be held liable for that. So we're not going to allow that speech to occur because we could be sued for that. And that's what they did during COVID. I mean, don't forget, Joe Biden was out there saying Facebook was killing people. Now, DeSantis' argument is, yeah, but if we if we. If we argue, if we say you can't, you can't censor anybody's speech, 
because you have this protection. And then therefore you have to let all speech on there. You have to let all speech on there because you're getting that protection in exchange for being a platform that allows all the speech. Otherwise you lose the protection from the government. You, you can be sued and you can't have your cake and eat it too. The problem though, is that when you're going down that road, you're inevitably going to get into this problem of what is deemed public information. And this is something I don't think DeSantis is really thinking through here. And the government has this amazing ability to tell us what is in our, our, our best interest. You ever notice that? The government is, is very good at that, telling us what's in our best interest. Take the Pfizer vaccine. Take the, the, the get your booster shots. Get, do this, do that. Eat, eat uh, carbs. Start your day with a big bowl of cereal. Well, they used to do that all the time. And there was a time when the food pyramid was mostly carbs. The government tells us what to do all the time for our own good. And in the public interest, the government's going to go out there and always say those things. Right now, I have the ability to be able to push back against that because of the First Amendment. But let's say the companies come out and this law is passed and they say, you can't, you can't censor any political speech. Well, the companies come back and say, we're not. We're not censoring political speech. But what we're doing is we're making sure that anyone who contradicts the government's helpful information is not in our platform because um, we just believe that the government should be able to give people the helpful information that they need. So it's not political speech we're censoring. Oh, no, no, you can say anything political you want. But we've decided now that if the government says something, that that is going to be separate. That's different from that. That's separate. You can't argue with that. So if the government comes out and says climate change is real, you can't argue with that. You turn around and go, wait, wait a second, but isn't that a political opinion? Well, no, we've decided now that what, can, what counts as really political speech are political opinions on politics and things. It's all in our terms there. It's all there. And we don't censor people for that. So you can say whatever you want, but you just can't contradict official authorities or any official government account or anything like that. Because in that sense, we believe that that's doing the public a disservice and, and blah, 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 blah. You don't think they go down that road at some point? Of course they will. The question is not really political speech. The question is contradicting the government. That's really what we're talking about here. And the answer to that is not to pass a law that says you can't censor people on a private platform. The answer is to let the free market step in and create a platform that doesn't censor people. Because otherwise, you're going to give big tech the ammunition they need to start censoring people who doubt the government narrative on anything and everything. Under the guise of, oh, no, 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 we're not, we're not, oh, no, 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 we're not censoring political speech. But if you disagree with an official, like the at CDC checkmark advising on these things, well, that's different. See, that's a government thing. We don't allow that. But that's not political speech. You can argue about Trump. You can argue about Biden. That's okay. We won't take any of that down. But as long as, but anything that's in the public's interest, we're going to keep that separate. We, that's how we distinguish i mean among the two that's what would happen and that's really ultimately what would happen and that's really i think justice alito's point here content moderation is it really anything more than a euphemism for censorship he was questioning paul clement the attorney for net choice in moody v net choice and if the government is doing 
And and the question is, if government is doing it, then content moderation might be a euphemism for censorship. Cut number one. A lot of new terminology bouncing around in these cases, and just out of curiosity, uh, and one of them is content moderation. Could you define that for me? So, uh, you know, look, content moderation to me is just editorial discretion. It's a way to take the, 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 all of the content that is potentially posted on the site, exercise editorial discretion in order to make it less offensive to users and advertisers. Is it, is it anything more than a euphemism for censorship? It, I want to just ask you this. If somebody in 1917 was prosecuted and thrown in jail for opposing U.S. participation in World War I, was that content moderation? So if the government's doing it, then content moderation might be a euphemism for censorship. If a private party is doing it, content moderation is a euphemism for editorial discretion. And there's a fundamental difference between the two. Now, William J. Norton says, Rich, the difference between talk radio and social media regarding fairness doctrine, you have a time slot. FD would force your show and station to provide equal time, fairness doctrine. Social media doesn't have time slots. Equal access to express all viewpoints would exist. Um, That's not necessarily the case. See, the fairness doctrine would require both sides to be heard on talk radio, thus effectively destroying conservative talk radio because you you would put so much lefty crap on the station that you wouldn't want to listen to it anymore. You would destroy the product by having the government force different opinions on a radio station that we don't want to air. And that's the problem. It's not the time slot. They could move me to 3 a.m. and put a lefty on at 3 p.m. It's the government forcing both sides to be heard on a private radio station. Like forcing Elon Musk. All right, Elon, every time somebody comes out and tweets something that's, um, say, anti-Ukraine, you must show somebody who tweets something that is pro-Ukraine. And it must be visible to everybody so everybody sees it in exactly the same amount. So that means that if somebody's tweet got 64,000 views, that's anti-Ukraine funding, you must ensure that somebody who's pro-Ukraine funding got 64,000 views as well. That's how we're going to ensure that both sides are actually uh, represented on these, on these platforms. Doesn't Elon Musk have the right to say, no, I'm not doing that. I don't believe I'm going to promote on my private platform the people that are trying to push for more Ukraine funding. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. I own Twitter. I don't have to do it. Go scratch. I think Elon has the right to absolutely say that 100%. And if Mark Zuckerberg doesn't want to put anti-Ukraine funding on his platform, then he doesn't have to. And then I won't use his platform, which I don't, by the way. I rarely use Facebook. I'll use Twitter. I'll use the sites that, that will allow me to express the views that I want and won't silence me. But I don't want to have the government come in and tell Elon Musk, Elon, for every pro or for every anti-Ukraine funding tweet, you must ensure a pro-Ukraine funding tweet. And you must ensure that they're both seen by as many people and you must ensure that they both reach the same amount of people and you can't take anyone's down. If somebody comes out there and they put out a tweet that you vehemently disagree with, even though it's your platform, you have no right to moderate that content whatsoever. We're the government and we're telling you, you have to do that. So that means that in the case of Florida, Florida's own Surgeon General, Joseph Ladapo, 
we want to make sure that every time that guy tweets about vaccines, there is an equal amount of tweets that contradict the attorney general of Florida's stance. And we have to ensure that they're seen in equal amounts, which means you'll have to figure out a way to promote those tweets in a manner that will also meet the eyeballs that Joseph Adalvo's tweets are, get, are getting. Adapo. Really, I mean, why not? See, part of the reason why the Fairness Doctrine was, they tried to put it in place, was to ultimately silence Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh had a massive audience, as you know. And they were angry because they couldn't compete with that audience. So what do they want to do? They wanted to make sure that the different viewpoints were heard. But it wasn't just a matter of just being heard. They had to reach the same amount of people. You had to ensure the same reach. So you're going down a very dangerous road here, I think, an incredibly dangerous road. Here's Justice uh, Clarence Thomas on government speech and Section 230 as he questions Florida Solicitor General Henry Whitaker, cut number five. Uh, Mr. Clement, if the government did what your clients uh, are doing, uh, or um, would that be government speech? So it might be government speech, but I think it would be unconstitutional government speech, which is to say, when the government, I mean, you know, obviously you have government speech cases, but when what the government's doing is exercising editorial discretion to censor some viewers or some speakers and not others, I think that plainly violates the First Amendment. And I think that's essentially the thrust of this court's decision in the Manhattan Community uh, cable case against Halleck, which is that in this area, looking for state action is absolutely critical. There are things that the, if the government does is a First Amendment problem, and if a private speaker does, we recognize that as protected activity. Mr. Clement, so, you, oh, can you um, give me one example of a case in which we have said the First Amendment protects the right to censor? So I don't know that the court used that particular locution, Justice Thomas, but I think that is the thrust of Hurley. That is the thrust of PG&E. That is the thrust of Tornillo. In all of those cases, a private party did not want to convey and disseminate the speech of a third party. And in every case, the government said, no, we have some really good reason here why this private party has to disseminate the message of a third party. And uh, I've been fortunate or unfortunate to have been here for most of the development of the Internet. Uh, <laughs> And uh, the argument under Section 230 has been that you're merely a conduit, which it exact, that was the case that back in the 90s and perhaps the early 2000s. Now you're saying that you are engaged in editorial discretion and expressive conduct. Doesn't that seem to undermine your Section 230 arguments? With respect, Justice Thomas, I mean, obviously you were here for all of it. I wasn't here for all of it. But my understanding is that my clients have consistently taken the position that they are not mere conduits. And Congress, in passing Section 230, looked at some common law cases that basically said, well, if you're just a pure conduit, that means that you're free from liability. But if you start becoming a publisher by keeping some bad conduct out, content out, then you no longer have that common law liability protection. And as I understand 230, the whole point of it was to encourage websites and other regulated parties to essentially uh, exercise editorial discretion, to keep some of that bad stuff out of there. And 
as a result, what Congress said is they didn't say, and you're still a conduit if you do that. No, it said you shouldn't be treated as a publisher because Congress recognized that what my clients were doing would, in another context, look like publishing, which would come with the kind of traditional defamation liability, and they wanted to protect them against that precisely to encourage them to take down some of the bad material that if these laws go into effect, we'd be forced to convey on our websites. And the question is, <clears throat> can the government force you to put up content you don't want? That's really the question. We know that the, gov- the First Amendment says you, the government can't force you to take down content you don't like, but can the First Amendment force you to put up content you don't like? And I would argue the First Amendment protects you from the government forcing you to put content on your private platform or your private radio station or your private newspaper or your private whatever that you don't want because it's America. What do you think? 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. All right, big show still to come. We got a lot to chat about. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Zioli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. All right, we got 30 minutes of nonstop talk for you. I went way long there. But listen, I'd love to get your opinion. Should the government get involved in ensuring that social media platforms are open to all political viewpoints? What is your opinion of that? Should the government get involved to ensure that social media platforms are involved or or are places to express all political viewpoints? Or is the danger of that just far too great? What do you think? 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli coming right back. Rich Zioli weekday afternoons 3 to 7 Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and on the free Odyssey app. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.